Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. Today, we are kicking off a series we're going to get into in a moment. I actually want to start with a quote. Uh, This is one of the most well-known, most repeated quotes from Henry David Thoreau. Uh, If you're familiar with Thoreau, you might know the quote that I'm going to read. It goes something like this. The mass of men lead lead lives of quiet desperation. What is called resignation is confirmed desperation. When he says massive men lead lives of quiet desperation, he's talking the experience of most people is a life of quiet desperation. I don't, we're not going to get into what Thoreau meant by that. That's not our purpose this morning. But regardless of what he meant by it, I think the reason that that gets repeated, recycled, retweeted, at least as long as Twitter's around, is because because it describes what many people's experience is, that if people get honest about their own lives, which oftentimes we we stay busy so we don't have to be honest, but when people get honest about the interior of their lives and how they feel about their lives, it just describes their experience. It's a life of quiet desperation. It's a life of just trying to survive day to day, moment to moment, week to week, year to year. and the question is, is there, is there an alternative to that? People live lives devoid of purpose, meaning, and direction. But here's the thing. Scripture offers us a different story. Scripture tells us there's an alternative to a life of quiet desperation. There's an alternative to a life of just trying to make it from one day to the next. That we can live lives with purpose. That that God made each and every one of us. There's a creator who designed and planned your life, who sovereignly appointed the time in which you live and has plans for you to walk in. That for the Christian, for someone who has surrendered their lives to God and opened their lives to God, there is no need to ever lead a life of quiet desperation. There's purpose, there's meaning. Today we're... Let me share a scripture with you that corresponds to that. This is Paul speaking in Ephesians. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's not the result of works. It's not because of what you've done or not done. It's simply a gift. For we are what he has made us. We've we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in him. I underline that phrase because we're going to use, we're going to be leaning into that metaphor. We're, We're supposed to walk in these things, to walk in the plans that God has made for us. So this new series that we're launching today, it's called Here Am I. Uh, It's going to be a six-week series, and we're going to be tracing this three-word phrase, here am I. We're going to trace it through the pages of Scripture, kind of chronologically, and through through the lives of the community of faith who've gone before us. We're going to see what we can learn from people in various 
points in time, in various circumstances, who responded when God spoke to them with direction for their lives, with direction for the moment they were in, and said, here am I. What do we learn from them? So today we're going to be talking about Abraham. In the coming weeks, we're going to, it's a six-week series. We're going to look at Moses, Samuel, Isaiah, Mary, and Ananias. Um, so this week, Pastor Mike, in our devotions, introduced us to the Hebrew word that we translate as here am I, or in some translations, it's here I am, depending on the translation. I like here am I. Um, but the Hebrew word is actually hineni. We have devotions. I'll, I'll just take a moment to plug this. Uh, if you are, are new around here or you're not in the habit of doing our devotions, I like to plug them at the beginning of a new series. But we have daily devotions that Pastor Mike creates for us that are on the same topic that we're going to be in the coming Sunday. And so that we're not just trying to get our spiritual nourishment and our engagement with God on Sundays, but it's, it's like throughout the week, right? It's daily manna. And so uh, I'll put up a slide here. This tells you where you can find those devotions if you don't have them. The QR code will take you to that page. That's our devotion page. You can sign up to get email uh, there uh, to have them emailed to you each day, or you can also find the podcast link so you can listen to them. They're both written and audio, and I uh, would encourage you to take advantage of that. But um, the Hebrew word is hineni, and the translation is, again, it's here my or here I am. But it's more than just a phrase on our lips. This is why it's so important this morning. It's more than just a phrase we say. When we respond with our hineni, it begins as the posture of our heart and then is completed in the corresponding action of our lives. It's more than just a roll call. In other words, it's more than just saying, um, I'm, I'm here. You, ever, you remember when teachers did roll call? They just, they just, they're looking down at their list. They're not even looking up. They're just calling out the names. Roa, here. Wes, Wes, thank you. <laughs> Bueller, <laughs> Phil. Okay, this is more than a roll call. It's not just asking, are you here and accounted for? It's speaking to say, if I speak will you listen? If I lead, will you obey? If I give you direction, will you follow? That's, what, that's at the heart of the Hebrew word hineni. It's the heart of the, the characters we're going to be looking at in the story. So we're starting with Abraham, and here's the thing. Starting with Abraham, we're starting with him because it's chronological, and we're just working through these characters. But it's not a soft launch into the concept of being a people who respond and say, hineni, here am I. This is, this is not, if we're thinking about like the waters of faith, this is not the kiddie pool that we're just sort of easing into. This is like diving into a raging ocean or being dropped from a helicopter into a tumultuous ocean. This is the deep end. This is the defining moment in Abraham's life, and it's, it's one that I don't think any of us would ever want to face the moment he faced when he had to respond with, Hineni. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22 today. Uh, before we get in there, you can turn there in your Bibles or in your apps. I would encourage you to bring your physical Bible because apps have a way of being distracting. So just a word of encouragement. Be present. Um, 
We're going to be in chapter 22, but before we get there, I'm going to summarize the previous 10 chapters, not everything that happens, but just the key points that that bring us up to what happens in chapter 22. So uh, when we first meet Abraham back in chapters 11 and 12 of Genesis, uh, he is already an older man, mature, for those of you who are sensitive to age comments, okay? He's, he's, uh, he's 75, his wife is 65, his wife is Sarah. Uh, knowing how marriage worked in their day, they've probably been married since Sarah was pretty young, maybe somewhere between 15 to 20. So they've been married like 45 to 50 years. And what's surprising, especially in their day, it would be surprising in ours as well, but especially in their day is that they have no children. They have no children. And it's not because they didn't want children or they've never tried to have children. It's because Sarah is barren. And for all of their marriage, some four to five decades at this point, she's remained childless. It's a place of deep pain for her. So we meet them at 75. Um, Abraham has grown up in a pagan home and a pagan culture, which means that within his household and within the culture that they lived in, the broader culture, they worshiped idols. They didn't worship the invisible God that created all of the earth. They worshiped a God that they could create with their hands. And this was, the, and so they practiced other religions. That's his shaping influence. That's what he grew up in. And at some point, at seven, around age of 75, God comes to him and reveals himself to him and says, come follow me. He asked him to leave the land of his ancestors and to follow him into a land that God would show him. Here's the the basic calling on Abraham in in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Abraham, leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Do you hear that the, the call on God's people has always been to receive God's blessing and to be a blessing to others? That's why we say as a church, we want to receive from God, but we want to give away. We're here for not our own, only our own sake. We're here for the sake of others as well. Well, that's the call on God's people. So that's the promise. Do you hear the disconnect in that promise? I underline this one part. I will make you into a great nation. This is one man and his wife who are childless and in their later years. And God says, I will make of you a great nation. There's a, there's a bit of a disconnect right there. God's promising to birth a whole nation from Abraham and Sarah who are already old and barren after four to five years without children. Nevertheless, Abraham steps out. He trusts God. It's really a, uh, it's a, it's a risk. It's a statement of trust and obedience when he takes his first step away from his father's household, away from his inheritance, everything that would have been his security, and steps out and says, God, I'll follow you and see if you meet me, if you provide. So he stepped out. If I put myself in Abraham's shoes, I have to think that he and Sarah were expecting that once they stepped out, that God would bless them with children pretty quickly. Right? Have you had that experience of 
saying yes to God and responding to the thing you thought he was asking you to do and you thought you knew what the outcome would be. This is part of the human experience is when we give God our yes, we anticipate what the desired outcome is. And sometimes that outcome happens. Quite often the outcome is quite different. But see, we, we don't give, our, give God our hineni with a condition that says, if you give me this outcome, I will give you my yes. We give him our yes and say, I, I trust you. So Abraham and Sarah, they step out. Expecting a child, didn't happen. After 10 years, and here's kind of the, the critical point, what happens when God doesn't do the thing that you think he should do? We have some options. We can be disappointed. We can be critical. We can feel shame. Like maybe I'm, I'm not good enough. There's all kinds of places we can go. I think maybe the healthiest thing to do when God doesn't do what we thought he was going to do is to get curious about that and to ask him, God, why, why is this not happening the way I thought it would? I, don't, I, I trust that you're good, but I can't see what you're doing. Abraham and Sarah, at some point, 10 years later, they decided to take matters into their own hands, and they decided that they would have children through a surrogate. And so Sarah proposed to Abraham that, uh, that he would raise up a child for her through her servant girl, Hagar, and said, here, here's my servant girl. You sleep with her, and God will, will give us children through her. Um, Abraham agreed, which is, and goes along with this plan. And so together they decide they're going to help God. (laughs) Just going to help him. And her servant girl conceives and becomes pregnant. And a year later, they have a son. They name him Ishmael. But here's the thing. That's a whole other story. We're not going to go there today. But that's not the way God intended to fulfill his promise to make of Abraham a great nation. And so God comes to him and says, that's, that's not the way I was going to do it. That's not the way I am going to do it. And here's the thing. Even though that was culturally normative in their day, what they did wasn't out of the, the realm of what was, how these things were often handled. It's something that in our day, we would probably call that human trafficking. And God says, that's not how I'm doing this. Not through you figuring out a workaround. This thing that I'm doing, this is going to be a miracle. So, flash forward another 15 years, bringing Abraham to the ripe and virile age of 99. Sarah is now 90, she, and, and she tells us in this passage that she's actually passed through menopause. Not only has she never been able to conceive and have children, now, she, now it's like medically impossible. She's passed through menopause. Ishmael, their son by the surrogate, she's now, he's now 14 years old. And God speaks to Abraham again and says that the promises that he's given them are going to come through a child that Sarah will bear to him. Sarah thinks that is hysterically funny. She's, you know, it's a little bit of a bitter laugh that she laughs with, but God is true to his promise. And one year later, she gives birth to a baby boy that they name Isaac, which means what? Laughter. Because of her just believing that this is hysterically preposterous. But here's the thing. At last, their waiting's over. Okay? At this point, they've been married for maybe 70 years, and the waiting is at last over. Not only do they have the son they've always wanted, but now they have an heir to the promises. 
Like this whole thing that they've been walking into can at last happen. That brings us to Genesis chapter 22, which is our passage today. As we get into this one, there's no time frame given that's precise as far as just how old is Isaac at this point, how old is Abraham. The language of Scripture makes it clear that he's somewhere around, Isaac's around 10 years old up to maybe into his late teens, which puts Abraham well over 100 years old. And as we pick up the story, this is what happens. Genesis 22, chapter 1, or verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I, Hinene. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Moriah's Lord of the Rings. Go to the land of Moriah. <laughs> Can I remember the right text here? Go to the land of Moriah and offer him, now, listen to this, though. Offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This is child sacrifice. Go sacrifice your son to me, the one you've waited for, the one that is the, the hinge point on the promises that I've made to you. Go sacrifice him on the mountain that I show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Here's where you find out that his hinene was more than just a roll call, but it was really, if you speak, I will follow. Where you lead, I will obey. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. This is a powerful moment. I, Abraham knows what's about to happen. Isaac is beginning to suspect what's about to happen. And Isaac carries the wood for his own sacrifice up the hill on his own back. This is, a, this is a potent moment. Feel the weight of this. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. I don't want you to miss this, and neither is the author of Genesis who repeats this, this line twice. You're going to see it again in just a minute. So they went both of them together. This is the father and the son in partnership. It's not the father forcing something on the son with the son as a, as a victim. They, they do this thing together. Genesis 22, 7. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there. He laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. Inene. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. 
For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering, listen to this phrase, instead of his son. He offered up the the word ram here, it's a male lamb. The lamb took the place of Isaac. He was the substitute that took his place. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is God's word. Do you see what I mean by this is not a soft launch into the waters of faith? I think these are tumultuous waters. I think what happens here, this is an outrageous ask of any parent, any, any loving parent, in any time, any place. Sacrifice your only son whom you love. But compound that with 70 years of waiting, compound that with the hope of all the promises that they've stepped out in obedience for that are, are generational promises. This is a big ask. All of those would evaporate with the death of the only heir. And yet we see Abraham give God his hinene, the full, not only am I listening, but I will follow even if it doesn't make sense. I think that's the key point. What if God asks us something that doesn't make sense, that doesn't compute, that doesn't work out on paper, the math doesn't work for what you're asking? What if God asks you to do something that doesn't make sense? It's interesting, we get resolution on this pretty quickly, don't we? Like if you felt some tension, maybe the story's new to you and you felt some tension in this, like is this really gonna happen? Like this isn't what I thought God was like. We, we got that tension resolved within like 32 seconds. Abraham and Isaac walked this out over a three-day period. And nowhere along the line did God let Abraham off the hook and say, hey, it's just a test. Just, just walk it out. He had to go through this whole thing. And so I found myself this week as I was in this passage wondering, like, what was, what was Abraham thinking? You know, it's actually not until Isaac has carried the wood for his sacrifice up the hill, not until Abraham has been bound, or Abraham binds the the hands of his son Isaac and puts him on the altar, which, you know, Isaac could resist that. I mean, he's somewhere between 10 and 18 against a 110-year-old man. Odds are on Isaac if he resists, right? But he trusts his father. He trusts that the Father is altogether good. And so he he walks through this in obedience. They did this thing together. And so it's not until he's been bound and laid on the altar and Abraham raises the knife that God says, stop. And then God says, I have a different plan. I've been wondering what Abraham was thinking. We don't really know how he made sense of what was otherwise like senseless. There's no, there's no way to make sense of that. But you know what? The author of Hebrews tells us what Abraham was thinking. This is what the author of Hebrews says. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, 
was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. What was Abraham thinking? He didn't know how this could work. This didn't make sense, but he's like, you know what? The God who gave the son to us miraculously can do more miracles. He opened my wife's womb that was closed. He can do this again if this is the way he does it. I think it's a beautiful picture of trust and faith. Here's the thing. It's not just a picture of trust and faith that was for that moment. With this moment that we're looking at in Genesis 22, this foreshadows and it telegraphs something that would happen some 2,000 years later to one of Abraham's descendants. This, this is a, a, the, the people at Bible Project talk about hot links in Scripture, that, that this is like a hyperlink to something else. This moment is a hyperlink to the cross, to what Jesus did. Let me show you what I mean by that. Here's just a couple points. Here's, here's how this is a parallel and foreshadows the gospel. There's a father who must offer up the life of his only son, his beloved son, who is born of a miracle. The, the son lovingly trusts his father, does not resist, and they walk this thing out together. So they went, both of them, together. The mountain is Mount Moriah. It was the eventual site of Jerusalem. When, when Abraham and Isaac go there, this is, this is wilderness. But it's the eventual site where Jerusalem and the temple will be built, where Jesus will offer up his own life as a sacrifice. Like Isaac, Jesus will be compelled to carry the wood for his own sacrifice. Isn't this amazing? This is just, like, Scripture, if you want to know the truth of Scripture, like, this book was written long before Jesus was born. Like, the the, the Hebrew Scripture, this part, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Jesus. Like Isaac, Jesus will be compelled to carry the wood for his own sacrifice. God the Father will himself do what he does not actually require of Abraham. God himself provides the lamb for the sacrifice in place of Isaac and humanity. Not only is Isaac a parallel for Jesus that that telegraphs and and kind of foreshadows Jesus, but in the story, the lamb is also Jesus, the lamb that is provided in Isaac's place, which means that we're also Isaac, that mankind was, was was facing death, and Jesus came and took our place. And the father does, in fact, receive his son back from the dead. (laughs) There's a few questions this passage raises. If if you've not studied this, wrestled with some of the the questions that this raises, there's some questions here. We're not going to get into all that today. It's not our our purpose today. But I wanted to give you some additional resources. So we're going to put a slide up here that's going to give you a couple additional links And I'll tell you what's here. This is a page where you can find two additional links from our friends at Bible Project specific to this topic. And so one of them, if you go here, you can use the QR code to get there, or you can just go to vineyardboys.org slash Genesis. But um, what you're going to find is uh, there's going to be a blog that talks about the challenges of this passage that's very specific to Genesis 22. You're also going to find a video that talks about sacrifice in general. And it's incredibly helpful to understand why was there a need for sacrifice? Why did Jesus give up his life in our place? 
And what does it mean for me today? It's very powerful. I would encourage you to, to take advantage of that and watch both of those. So beyond that, I want to ask this question. Here, here's, here's the point for this morning. How did Abraham get there? Like, if I put myself in Abraham's shoes, or I guess in his case, his sandals. If I put myself in Abraham's sandals, could I respond with that kind of obedience? My wife and I, Andrea and I, we experienced barrenness for three and a half years, um, which in light of 70 years sounds really small. At the time, it felt brutal. We've been through infertility. We've been through that place of wondering, would we ever get to satisfy the aching in our hearts for children? If God asked me to, to offer up one of our daughters as a sacrifice, could I do that? Now, here's the thing. Because God did what he did not ask Abraham to complete, none of us will ever be asked that. Because God did what he wouldn't ask us to do. But I put myself there and I go, how did you get the kind of faith that you were willing to do that? Like, would I be willing? Where did he get the kind of trust and faith that allowed for such radical obedience when obedience made no logical sense? So let me give you our takeaway for today. If you don't remember anything else, here's the takeaway from today. It's this. Tomorrow's step of faith grows from today's step of obedience. Tomorrow's step of faith, the thing that God might ask of you tomorrow or sometime in the future, it proceeds from what he's asked of you today, what he's asked of you yesterday, and what we learned, whether we obeyed or whether we didn't obey. Here's the thing, because this is about God, it's not about how perfectly we obey, and sometimes we even spectacularly fail when God asks us to do something. We can learn from both of those about who God is. That's what happened with Abraham. The reason that Abraham could take this step of faith is because the, the steps of faith that he took over the past, what, 35 years, 40 years that he's been walking with God and all that he's learned along the way. Which means, well, so let me give you an example. He's seen and experienced God's goodness and faithfulness, God's power, and God's commitment to his promises. Abraham experienced that when he took out his first step and stepped away from his father's household and the culture he grew up in and said, I'm going to leave everything behind and trust you to give me a new future. And over the last 35 to 40 years, God has met, them, met him there, has blessed them, has provided, has prospered them. So he goes, okay, God's good for his promises. He also has experienced how God miraculously provided the promised son in spite of it being humanly impossible. Why did God wait? Why did God call them out and then wait until Sarah had actually not only experienced barrenness for 40 years, but actually passed through menopause? Because he wanted them to know, you didn't do this. What I am doing is a miracle. Abraham has seen God do miraculous things. Why can he step out in faith in this moment? It's because he's seen God do miraculous things. He even learned to step out in faith from the times that he stepped out in unbelief. Twice in those 10 chapters before chapter 22, Abraham gives his wife away to a foreign king who thinks she's really attractive. And in both cases, Abraham was scared to, to identify as her husband. And so he said, oh, that's my sister. So that this foreign king wouldn't take his life in order to take Sarah into his harem. 
He did that twice. Both times God intervened and protected Sarah from being assaulted in any sort of way, gave her back to Abraham and said, I'm, I'm trying to bless you through her. You need to stop giving her away. <laughs> but Abraham learned through that. He, he, because here's what it means. God is more committed to his promises and his plans than I am. God made good things for you to walk in. Before you were even born, he's more committed to those plans than you are. And you haven't derailed them by the times you've messed up. We all sit here with things we're ashamed of. We all think, if I had a do-over, if I had a mulligan, I would do it differently. God doesn't ask that of you. He asks you to learn from how he showed himself to be faithful even when we blew it. So why can Abraham take that step of faith? It's because of everything that came before it. You and I don't have to ask today, would we be able to do that? What we have to do is say, God, if you spoke today, would I obey? Would I give you my hinene? Would I say yes? And would it be more than just lip service, but would I actually act on it? And if we do that, if we create a pattern in our lives of trusting God, he's going to keep giving us bigger stretches and bigger stretches, each one building on the last. And we will be able to walk out lives of purpose, not lives of quiet desperation. We're gonna transition to a, just a time of application and ministry. Because I believe as we launch this series that um, God wants us to be a people who collectively and individually give God our hinene. We say, God, if you speak, I'll be listening. Where you lead, I will follow. You know, and these are, these are defining moments. They don't happen every single day. It's not like every single day he got stretched. But the question is, if God speaks... When he speaks, when he leads you, will you give him your yes? Even if it doesn't make sense. Will you trust him? I'm going to ask you to, to stand because here's why. The whole reason we come together to study scripture is not just to understand something that happened 2,000 or 4,000 years ago in this case. It's not just about knowledge, it's about how we respond. Sometimes when we facilitate just times of ministry and responding, we do it right where we people are, right where you're standing. And we say just, you know, let, if, if you're dealing with this, let's, let's respond right now. As I've been preparing for this morning, I really feel like we're supposed to step out if we want to give God our yes. Some of us are going to be invited to step out and to, to come up front uh, just to say, God, even with our, with our bodies, I'm giving you my yes. And as I prayed about it this morning, I felt a, a couple specific points of application. And so I'm just going to name these and describe these. And if you find yourself within this, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come up front. And all we're going to do is stand here and wait and give God some space to speak. We actually sang this song. I never heard that song. I don't know if that's when you introduced this morning or during my sabbatical, but we're going to make space for God. Say, do you, do you have anything you want to say to me today? Do you have anything you want to say through me today to someone else? And we're just going to wait. So real quick, three points of application. Actually, more than that. Three points related to the passage. Some are not 
directly connected. Uh, first of all, there's some here who are here today, you're making a decision right now, you're facing a decision, and what you most want is to know what God's heart is on that. That if God has a preference on the decision you're making, you want to say, God, I want to hear your voice. Because if, this, if you have something specific, if this is part of the plan you have for me, I want to walk in that. I just need to hear your voice. Some of you, you already know what situation you're facing. You just, that's where you are. I need to hear from you. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come up and we'll say, come Holy Spirit, will you speak? Will you show us what we need to hear? Some of you are not facing a decision right now, but as we're talking about this, there's something stirring in you that says, I want to be the type of person that if God, if and when God challenges me to something that I'll step out and trust, even if it doesn't make sense, I want to be the type of person who has been shaped, who the posture of my heart and the obedience of my life is that I will give God my yes. And so if you step up here today, you're saying, God, would you give me the grace? Would you form me and shape me to be the kind of person who when you speak, when you lead, I give you my yes? Those those are two. So you have a decision or you want to be the type of person who will give God your yes, who's listening, you're attentive. And the third is this. There's some people who who need to take a step today but it's not the step that Abraham took in Genesis 22. It's the one he took in chapter 12 when he first stepped out to follow God. And maybe when I described a life of quiet desperation this morning, you thought, yeah, (laughs) that's me. And the idea that, that there's a creator who made you, knows you, sees you, has plans for you to walk in, well, that almost sounds too good to be true, but if it is true, you give him your yes. This is, a, this is a surrendering your life to God today and saying, God, if you want my life, I will follow. Okay? So those are the three specific ones related to the passage. We're also going to put some words for prayer up on the screen. These are some things that our prayer team sensed this morning. And um, these are specific things that our prayer team sensed God wanted to... to uh, to meet you in these places. So uh, you've said, I'm not sorry. I, I, don't, I don't have a, this didn't come from me. I, don't, I can't qualify that. Maybe you wish you had a more repentant heart and you're asking for a soft heart, that you recognize there's a hardness in you. Maybe somebody's got pain behind the left ear. There's grinding of teeth. That was my wife. She kept me up last night. You get prayer for that? No. Kicking against the good. The other one is um, when I described barrenness. I think there's someone here who's, who's dealt with that and you're praying that God will meet you in that place of barrenness. And you know that you need prayer for that. My wife and I, we did get prayer in this very room over 21 years ago. Our daughters are 21 and 18 now. And... God met us there, gave us hope to sustain us. So if you need prayer for that, you can come up front. So if you find yourself wanting prayer this morning, just come up. Go ahead and come up now. Step out. This is about stepping out. We have prayer team that would like to partner with you. 
They're gonna give you a little bit of space though. They're gonna let you just wait. We're gonna ask God to begin giving us direction, begin giving us promptings. So maybe put yourself in a posture of receiving, whatever that looks like for you. For me, this is posture of receiving. Say, come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you meet us today? You see these sons and daughters of yours who are asking for direction, who are are stepping out and saying, you have my yes, you have my hinene. I need to hear your voice. I need to know what you want. Heavenly Father, would you speak? there's a decision that you're bringing to God today, hold that out to him. says that he is more committed to the plans he has for you than you are. This yes, it's not about fear. There's no fear in this. This is all love. This is all trust. Heavenly Father says this morning, I am pleased with you. I am pleased with your desire to hear my voice and to obey. All right, prayer team, if you're would like to to begin engaging with people, just come up and ask people why they're here, how you can partner with them in prayer. We have a lot of people that need prayer this morning, so if you've been walking with God for a while and you uh, can come alongside somebody with prayer, would you come help? This is a tender moment of us just opening ourselves at the beginning of this series saying, God, we want to be a Hinene people. prayer, if you're up here and you would like prayer and nobody's praying for you yet, would you just put your hand up? 
with a couple hands over here. Wonderful. Just pay attention to what God's doing. If you need to go get your children from children's ministry, uh, you can do that. You can bring them back in here. Um, let's not disrupt what, what God's doing up front. If you need to go, go make the invisible God visible. Come back here next week with expectation. We're going to, to keep doing this series of, God, we want to hear your voice. Next week, we get to learn from the life of Moses. Go be blessed, be thankful, and make the invisible God visible. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.